0: Screen, um, but we're going to be reading from the Book of Joshua in the Old Testament, um, Joshua chapter three, verses seven to seventeen. The Lord said to Joshua, "This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so that they may know that I will be with you as I was with Moses. You are the one who shall." So now select twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. When the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan flowing from above shall be cut off. They shall stand in a single heap. When the people set out from their tents to cross the, over the Jordan, the priests bearing the ark of the covenant were in front of the people. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. So when those who bore the ark had come to the Jordan, and the Bearing the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a single heap far off at Adam, the city that is beside Azareth. While those flowing towards the Sea of arabah the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off. Then the people crossed over opposite Jericho. While all Israel were crossing over on dry ground, the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, until the entire nation finished crossing over. So, I find that recently I have become very reflective um, I've had a very busy year uh, I've, I've had a lot of changes in my life this year some of you, uh, or I guess all of you will have seen that uh, back in January my son was born our first child was born, um, also some of you know that this year I graduated from seminary, those are just a couple of what have been a year of a lot of big changes in my life, a lot of growth in my and I find that whenever big milestones like this show up, it's often a time for me to stop and to look back and reflect, and a time for me to ask the question of, how did I get here? What's going on, and, and what has happened to kind of bring me to this point? So I've been doing that a lot recently, and if, if you'll bear with me today, I'd like to tell you a little bit of my story on how I got here, just a very small piece. Uh, see, it was seven years ago, a little over seven years ago, when I came to realize that I was actually called to go into ministry, called to to preach the word of God. And this came at a time that was really unexpected because there was a a big problem with this. I was really going nowhere in my life. I was sort of this, um, I like to say I was a 25-year-old stereotype. I was a college dropout with no desire or thought of ever going back. I was living in my parents' basement. Um, I didn't have a steady job. I was working part-time. Um, in car factories, fixing parts that came off the line that were faulty, and so I was like working just through a temp agency a few hours a week. Um, I, I just, I, I really had no five year plan, no plan at all. So the idea of going back to school, or going to seminary, or doing anything really with my life was something that was out of the question. Um, but, I I felt this call, I felt this experience. I had this experience where I, I knew that this was something that God was calling me to do. And so fast forward a few years, I started to follow that, and I went back to school and I graduated, got married, and I applied to seminaries to, to grad schools, and I was accepted at the the one that I was really hoping to get into. Um, and I really felt like I had traveled a long way from the time that I was younger, from the time that I I originally had dropped out of college. But there was again this this other issue, this obstacle that was in the way, because the school that I really wanted to go to and the school that I applied to was out here in California. And my wife and I lived in Detroit. And that's a long way away. And we were going to have to pick up everything that we had and move across the country. And this was something that felt very insurmountable for us. we, we didn't have any jobs out here. It meant quitting our jobs and coming out to a space where we had no work. Uh, we knew that we weren't gonna be able to, for circumstances, we weren't gonna be able to live on campus at school, so we, we had no place to live. We had no friends out here, no connections. Uh, and it, it really meant draining about every penny that we had to get all of our stuff out here to put in down payments you know, and, and to start a new life out here. Um, so it was... It was really scary. On one hand, there's this sense that this is something that we needed to do and that this is something we were called to, and we were very excited to do it, but on the other hand, we were absolutely terrified of the the danger, the uncertainty, the the path that was in front of us. And this is something that we see here in our story this morning of Israel, because here in Jonah 3, in the text that we read this morning, it's moving day for the people of Israel. Now, just to give a little bit of background, the story that we're reading doesn't start here. In fact, we're almost near the end of the story of this part of Israel's life. It started 40 years ago with Moses. Um, It started with Moses liberating Israel from 400 years of slavery under Egypt. And of course, as we know, the, the famous story, they're fleeing from the Egyptians, and they come to this great sea that they just can't cross. And Moses prays, and God parts the Reed Sea, parts of the water, and Israel can cross on dry land. And so they then, they then spend the next 40 years wandering through the desert and traveling, trying to find this land that they call the land flowing with milk and honey, this promised land that God has said that they will be able to settle in. And so Moses parting the sea and the Jordan are sort of bookending this part of Israel's life, the sort of milestones here. Uh, at The beginning, leaving into the country with the parting of Now, this parting of the Jordan that we read this morning kind of represents uh, Israel moving out of being a nomadic culture and into being able to settle down and become a nation. Um, And settle into this promise that God has given them for hundreds of years. Because for hundreds of years, there's been this talk of this promised land, and, and here it's happening. But in our story this morning, just as they're about to reach this great promise, this great dream, there's this big problem, because standing between them and the promised land is the Jordan River. And there weren't just a few Israelites. I want to kind of paint a picture of what this would have looked like, because scholars estimate that there were over a million Israelites here at the bank of the Jordan River. And that's men, women, children, but remember, they're a nomadic culture, so that's also all of their stuff. Their animals, their clothing, their Every single thing that they possess, that they've been wandering with for 40 years, is with them trying to cross this river. And so they come to this river in front of them, but this isn't just a small river. This is the Jordan. At any normal time, the Jordan is a pretty crazy, dangerous river, because the Jordan runs through this really deep gorge. Uh, It's one of the deepest gorges on planet Earth. And it runs downhill, and it empties at the end into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is is 1,300 feet below sea level. It's actually the lowest point on land that you can find on planet Earth. And going into this, there's all these steep mountains and cliffs along the side of the Jordan. And the Jordan doesn't exactly just like, you can't walk into it, it's very steep. And so stepping into the Jordan was a very big feat And as if that weren't enough, we're told in our text that the river is flooded. It's it's harvest season, which was the springtime. And during harvest season, the river floods. And we know that when the Jordan River floods in this area, it can get up to a mile wide. And it can get incredibly deep. And there's undercurrents. There's white water. This is a very dangerous feat that Israel is called to do. So somehow the Israelites have to get over a million people and everything they own. Cross this super dangerous river. But today's moving day, right? Today is the great day. Today is the day that this promise is going to be fulfilled. So, on one hand, they have to be so excited. And on the other hand, they have to be so terrified of what's in front of them. <laughs> so, as we read in our text, God speaks to Joshua and says, uh, I'm not going to, I don't want you to wait for the water to recede. I don't want you to go search around and find a place that's safer to cross. No, you're here you're in this place and I want you to cross here. And there's a, there's a reason why they're crossing there. And there's a reason why, why they're doing it now. Um, God wants to do it in front of, where Jericho can see them because that's where they're headed. Um, and they, this was a sign to Jericho of, of sort of the greatness of God and to fear um, Israel. That's a story, I guess, for another time. And so Israel has this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And if you've seen Indiana Jones, it is this box that holds the Ten Commandments and a few other items, um, but it is this, it's this literal representation of the presence of God being carried with Israel. And it's been carried with them this whole time. And, and so something else, this interesting thing that happens in the story, because God doesn't just say, go stand in the water and the water's going to part. God doesn't just say, go with your priests, the important people, and stand in this white water and the water's going to part. He says, take what is literally the most important object on planet Earth, the place where I am present, and go and step into rushing white water that is flooded and trust that everything's gonna be okay and that you're not gonna die and it's not gonna get swept away and destroyed, but trust that I'm going to part the water and take care of you. And look what happens, right? The moment that their feet touch the water, the waters part, But God also doesn't just make a hallway. One of the things that we're told here is that God parts the water at a town called Adam, which is about 20 miles to the north of where Israel is. He makes this entire space just enormously dry space so that all of Israel, all of their people, all of their animals can cross at once. And this is kind of a ridiculous ask, if you think about it, because I know if I was standing there, even if I had heard the direct voice of God, I, I know what I would have been thinking. I would have been thinking, well, maybe we should just wait here until after flood season, until it's a little bit more shallow, and then we can find a safe way across. Or maybe we can hunt around, and we can find a bridge, or maybe we'll just wait for, I don't know, for God to part the waters, and then we'll go. You know, we'll, kind of, we'll wait for the miracle to happen, and then we can step forward, because it's going to be safer that way, because we can then know that all our people are going to survive. But the, the truth is that this isn't the way that life works. This isn't almost ever the way that our lives work. Because the truth is that very often we can't achieve something great or learn something or experience something or go through something or grow from something without making a commitment that can be very, very risky. for us. Life doesn't give us proof to be okay before we step into it. We often have to step into it and then find out that everything worked out to be okay when we look back. And I think this often gives us commitment anxiety. This is something that I experience a lot in my life, um, whether it's something like, I don't know, what we're going to watch on Netflix at night or what we're going to have for dinner. Uh, even very small things, I can have a lot of anxiety around making a decision or making a commitment to it. Because if I choose the movie and then that ends up being a bad movie, well, then, you know, that's a big issue. In fact, uh, I carry around a gold dollar that I almost always have in my pocket because then I can flip a coin and I can just leave the decision up to this. And if you ask my wife, I do this all the time. I'm constantly just saying, well, okay, we'll flip a coin and decide what we're going to do. Or if we're going to stay in or eat out. or, or uh, It just... Um, I don't know why, it just it gives me a lot of anxiety. And so when it comes to even bigger decisions like where we're gonna move, what we're gonna do for a job, um, whether it comes to, I don't know, anything that's a larger decision, what we're gonna name our son, I, I get a lot of anxiety about these decisions because they're more risky. And what if I change my mind later? What if it turns out that it wasn't good? What if everything fails and we don't have a safety net? Um, my life is, is filled with what-ifs. Um, but one of the truths that we read in Scripture, one of the truths that come up time and time again as we're going through Scripture, is that to live completely free of danger and risks is to live without life. And we do this, I think, in a couple of ways. Uh, first, we, we put off things that we know that we're called to do, things we know we need by telling ourselves that we're just gonna wait for a more convenient time or for the best opportunity to do so. It's as if we're standing at the edge of the river and we're waiting for the flood waters to go down so that we can wade in and it's only gonna be waist deep instead of 100 feet deep when it's flooded. Or it's as, it's as if that we're waiting for somebody to come up to us and say, hey, it turns out that about 20 feet that way there's a bridge and there's an escalator on it and you can just stand there and it's just gonna take you across Free, and it's awesome, you know, like you don't have to get into any danger at all. Just, just step over there. Uh, but I also think we do this in another way, and it's not by waiting for a better time or a moment, but it's by waiting for God to do something about the situation first. It's by waiting for the miracle to happen before we step in. Um, it's as if we're waiting for the waters to part, right? It's as if we, we just we really don't want to risk getting our feet wet. But I would today that perhaps the only way that we discover that God is faithful is by taking steps of faith based on God's promises. Back to our story of moving across the country, I think literally every single person that we knew thought we were insane. Um, I Our parents were so worried that we were going to spend all of our money and get out here and not have a place to stay little bit of background we just when we moved out here we rented an airbnb for 10 days we just stayed in somebody's room for like for 10 days just hoping that in that time we'd be able to find an apartment and any of you who lived in la for any amount of time know that coming out and hoping to find an apartment within 10 days where you get the lease signed and, and everything taken care of is sort of a pipe dream you can do that in detroit you, you really can't do that out here uh, and so it, it, in some ways it was a little bit crazy. And, and I had countless conversations with my parents and with my in-laws that said things like, but aren't there schools in the area that you could go to that are really good? Chicago's really close. Or um, there's a city called Grand Rapids. They have some good schools. Like, aren't there aren't there places you could move to around here that would, it would be cheaper, you could have a good job? Um, you know, like, you'd be close to home so you could come back if anything went wrong. And but we, we just, we knew, this was what we had to do. I even remember, I remember going into work on my last day, and I was working retail, I was working for the Salvation Army in one of their stores, and our district manager came in that day, uh, who's somebody that I had known for a couple of years since I started working there, and when he found out that I was, he knew that I was quitting, he knew I had put in my two weeks, but when he found out that it was actually my last day, I remember him saying to me, like, wow, I really never expected that this would happen. It's a crazy idea. Are you sure you want to do this? Almost tried to like put it down or like talk me out of going because it was it was just it was a dangerous thing to do. But we realized that we had to step out into the river. So we packed our tiny little hatchback that has no cruise control, which, if you've ever driven across country, is a very important thing to have. Highly recommend it. But we packed everything that was the most important stuff to us, all of our valuable all of our most sentimental things and put them in the car. We left everything else behind, piled in my parents' garage for a moving truck to pick up later when we found the job. But we took all of our most important things and we set out across the country in a car that we weren't sure was gonna be able to make it even across the country, but we trusted that this was the path that we needed to And that this was the way that we were supposed to go. And now this is a story about driving across the country to go to school, I think this is kind of a superficial story a Um, especially when we're talking about Israel crossing into the promised land. Um, But I I, I think it makes me think here at Mission Hills we talk a lot about loving God and loving our neighbor. That's something that Ryan's been talking about recently. That's something that I'm constantly thinking about as I read through scriptures. And as we know, I think if we're honest, loving our neighbor is a difficult thing. It's often a risky thing. If not, like financially risky because you're going to help somebody out. It's emotionally risky. You have to put yourself out there, especially when your neighbor is somebody that you don't agree with, or somebody who's different from you, or somebody that you, for personal reasons, for political reasons, for any number of reasons, just can't get along with, but you know that you're called or led to take care of your neighbor and to love the neighbor. And I think that we often know that we're called and led to a thing or led in a direction, but, but we, we push against it because it's unsafe and we try to retreat back to you. So I would ask, you know, I would just kind of ask you guys this morning: Is there anything recently that you feel like you've been called to, like you've been led to? Is there a direction that you feel pulled towards, but have been reluctant? It's been scary. It's been risky. There's this, there's this gap in the middle that feels maybe insurmountable. Because it, it takes courage to leap into the ocean, but it also takes And I want to give a little bit about, just a a little bit of a picture of of what maybe this looks like in our lives. Um, Maybe you have someone that you know you need to forgive for something. Somebody who's hurt you, that you know you should forgive them, but your heart can't go there. And so maybe you're waiting for that feeling of forgiveness to come so that you can step into forgiveness. But maybe you need to forgive that person. Maybe you need to take that step, take that action, treat them as forgiven, and let your heart change, and let your heart follow. Let that work of God internally happen, following the action that you take. Maybe you're stuck in a toxic situation in a job, or in a relationship, or in a friendship that is just pulling you down, and you're giving, and you're giving, and you're not getting anything back, and it's just really toxic. But it's dangerous in our economy, in our culture, to go... Um, but maybe, you know, don't wait for somebody to knock on your door and say, "Hey, we've got a great opportunity at this company, and I know you're great for it. Why don't you step in and this job?" Maybe start looking. Maybe take that first step towards where you need to go, and watch how God follows you. Watch how things open up. If you see a neighbor who needs help, somebody on the street, especially if that somebody is like the other. Stepping out and helping them as opposed to, oh, I'm going to, you know, I think in in Christian culture we can say, well, I'm going to pray for those people who are having issues or who are homeless. And prayer is incredibly important, but action is also. And stepping out and letting God follow with his action can be incredibly important. Not waiting until it's convenient. And I think part of this, the way that I often think about it, is Christians, when we see injustice in the world, when we see wrong. In our culture, when we see people that are trampled or people who are treated unfairly and unjustly, we're called as people of God to step out and to do something about it. To take this first step in faith and then watch as God comes and follows in and follows along with us. Not because we feel like it, not because we want to, although sometimes we do want to help out and we do want to do these things, but because this is something that is in the direction of God, that points us towards Jesus, right? That's something that we're called to follow God into. So, I think to, to conclude, to wrap this up, this really comes down to two points for me. Don't be surprised if you open your eyes and you find that you're standing at the edge of the river. Don't be surprised if, if you wake up and you realize that what you've been looking for, or that what you need to do, where your call is, the pole that you're going is just over there. But also don't be surprised when that river is rushing in between you. And when that feels like or seems like it is at its most dangerous point that it could be. That's something that happens a lot, as we know, in our lives, in our daily lives. But that's something that also happens in the life of faith, in the life of God. And remember, remember that the river can part from you no matter how flooded it can be. and so part of this is to discern with others to pray with others to look for that direction of God but then to be willing and have the courage to take that first step in faith and the trust that God will follow
1: thank you. you guys can stand on your feet thank you so much that was such a good word Let's just sing this out. I will love you, Lord of my strength, and I will love you, Lord my shield, and I will love you, Lord my rock, forever are my days. I will love you, God, and I. Brave. And I will love you, Lord, my shield. And I.